Hi, I'm Jessica, compulsive overreader. And I'm seeing a lot of familiar faces because um, I started this program in L.A. in, in 2007. I, my sponsor is here. My sponsor's sponsor is here. The first person who I ever heard at L.A. meeting is here. Makes me cry. Um, a lot of influential people in my life are in this room. So I really appreciate you asking me to share. I've been abstinent for not quite eight years. I feel like a little kid who says, I'm seven and three quarters years old. <laughs> but that's how I feel. And I remember somebody saying, someone here in this room saying, if you're not ten in this program, you're still, you don't know anything and you're still just a little kid. And that's how I feel. And, and it was good that I heard that because um, when I became abstinent, which was right in the beginning, thank God, um, I protruded my abstinence like it was a baby. And I couldn't just set it down and leave it to take care of itself. So I had to take care of it. And that was really good for me because um, I still think of that. So I think of myself as like seven and actually it's 11, 12 years old. And, um, and, it, and it's just good for me to keep remembering that I can't just leave a seven-year-old unattended. I have to take care of this abstinence and it's on me to do that. That's my responsibility. Um, but how I became abstinent after a long, 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 many years, because I came into this program at the age of 61, and I had a trail littered with chocolate cake and donuts and cookies, lots of cookies, and you know, just all sugary things, and lots of anger, lots of hostility, lots of indiscriminate other compulsive behaviors and I came from a family of anger so I learned to be angry and I took that with me as I entered the world outside my family and those things did not serve me well I didn't get along with people I was angry at just about everything and to, to counteract all that I did two things one I tried to control everything and two, I ate. And, and sugar was my drug of choice, still is. I'm recovering from that every day. I no longer, thank God, according to the big book, we learn that the obsession is removed. And for me, that's been the case. The obsession has been removed. And I have to say that um, when I came in here, I was 185 pounds. And I forgot to bring my pictures, I'm sorry. Um, but some of you may remember me back in the olden days. I rolled in here at 185. I'm like 5'1". 185 doesn't look good on a 5'1 frame. And, um, and I was crazy. Nuts. And my life really was unmanageable. Although I didn't think so. I thought I was doing a really good job of not only managing my life, but your life, too. <laughs> and the life of the country and the world, pretty much. I was the president of the world. Thank you. And I did a very good job at that. My first thought in the morning was a judgmental thought, because I would have the radio on, come on, to wake me up, and it would be something about the president, and I would be like, well, I'm running. I'd be off and running. 
judgment, criticism, like the very first thought of the day, not like, well, I'm alive, the sun is shining. No, I was an angry, angry person. And um, I took that anger out on anyone that wasn't wasn't standing still. And um, when I got here, I really had no hope. That's the message that I really want to convey to anybody that's struggling. Is I walked in these rooms with zero hope. I did not think that I would ever lose the weight that I had gained, which by this time was well over 50 pounds. And that's just an enormous amount of weight to have to consider because I was a champion dieter and I was really good at 10 pounds and even 15 pounds and even 30 pounds, but 50 was just like, there was no, I knew there was no way I was going to do it because I tried. And my last diet was one of my go-to diets that always worked for me and um, it didn't work this time. So I knew I was in big trouble now because my go-to diet doesn't work. But I didn't know that that was because this is a progressive disease. I didn't even know I had a disease. I didn't, I didn't consider myself a compulsive overeater. I just liked cake. And it's true. I mean, I really didn't identify as someone who had a disease or had anything really wrong with me in that area. And I think that led to my feeling of hopelessness because, like, I just didn't think there was a cure for me. I never would lose this weight. I knew I couldn't do it anymore. And by that time, you know, I was pretty old, so I just gave up. I was like 50, I think, and I, and I, I just gave up. I said, well, forget it, then I'm not dieting anymore. And that really did the damage, because I wasn't 85, 185 then, but I, in the next 10 years, I, I grew. And, um, and by the time I got to a place where I met a person who was in OA, actually, I knew a girl, woman, and she was in OA, and um, she was losing weight. And she used to be my eating buddy, so that really sucked. And so she said she was on an eating plan. I was like, an eating plan? Well, that was interesting. Um, I want to be on an eating plan. So she told me, sounds better than a diet. So she told me what her eating plan was. And I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. So I wanted it, but I didn't want to do the work. And that's, you know, a lot of people's. Story, I'm sure it's like, yeah, I want to lose 50 pounds. Well, I was just, I was just pretending that it was 50 pounds. It was really 65 pounds that I had to lose. But, um, but I was, I would be happy to lose 50 pounds, and I was happy to lose 50 pounds. But I was lying to myself, and that's something that all active addicts do. They lie to themselves and others. They place blame. Was it my fault? And. They keep score. Well, if you hadn't done this to me, then I wouldn't have to eat this cake. And they fight battles that don't exist. And I did that every day of my life, all those four things. That was my life. And I remember thinking, well, the, the real reason I came to OA was because I, I didn't go to my college reunion because I was too fat. And I went to the store and I tried to buy something that I could wear to... Um, this thing and all my friends were going it was back in New York I'd have to take a plane trip so um, I went I went to the store and I tried to find an outfit everything was horrible or didn't fit and I hated the way I looked and I said well I'm not going 
So that to me is a version of my life is unmanageable. Because I'm not going to an event to see all my friends who are all going because I don't have anything to wear. That doesn't sound sane to me. But the joke is because after the reunion was over, which I did not attend, everybody had a great time at the reunion, which I did not attend, and they had a class picture, and everyone was fat. (laughs) So, that's kind of how my life goes sometimes. You know, it's like, okay, that's on me. And somewhere around in there, I just decided one day um, that I was just going to accept the way I looked. It was right around that time. And coincidentally, that was right around the time I decided to go to an OA meeting. My friend had been inviting me to go to meetings and meetings and meetings, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, maybe someday. And I would never go. I always had an excuse. And so finally, there was a 4th of July in the park meeting, and she said, well, do you want to go to this meeting? And there'll be some really powerful speakers there. I said, okay. And... I figured because it was in a park and not in a room, I could, like, escape. I could get out of there. If I didn't like it, I'd just, like, pow, you know, and no one would know. And the first speaker that I heard who told my story was at that meeting, and it changed my life. This was about someone who was addicted to sugar, and he, and he told my story. And I was like, oh, my God, that was so amazing to me that he told my story. <clears throat> I couldn't believe it. And, and um, he said, and then I realized I could never eat sugar again. And I'm like, going, 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 going. The bell went off and all the dots got connected. I'm like, that's what I've been doing wrong. That's what I've been doing wrong. I've been, eat, I've been going on the diet, losing the weight, and then going back to my disease, my, back to my drug. So it's like going to rehab, getting clean, and go back on the street and buy a, you know, a thing of cocaine or whatever you're addicted to. It's the same thing. I would just buy a, a, a square of cake about this big, but about that thick, and I was going to cut it in four pieces so I could have one every day for the next four days, and it would be gone within 24 hours. That whole thing would be hoovered up. So my four-day eating of the cake plan did not work. That's how I used to think. And I really thought that I could do this. But I got to this meeting and I heard these speakers and it suddenly made sense to me. And this person had like 24 years at that time of abstinence. And I found that unfathomable. I really couldn't, I knew that I couldn't do that. And I knew a lot of things. And now I don't know anything. So I consider that spiritual progress. <laughs> So I, I took that information and actually um, used it to my benefit, which was pretty amazing for me. And, um, and then three months later, I went to my second meeting. <laughs> and again, the speaker stood up and it was a sugar addict and she told my story. And it was unbelievable to me. But the one thing that she said that I remembered, and I actually wrote it down because I used to carry a little journal with me, and um, she said, I have learned to believe whatever anyone says to me, no matter how beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that resonated with me because I hated myself. 
And if you said you look nice today, with it, I would not believe you. I would bat away those compliments. If somebody said something complimentary to me, that someone had to teach me. You say thank you. I had to be taught that because I give you all the reasons why it wasn't true. Whatever nice thing that you said about me, I wanted to hear the bad stuff because that's where I lived in the bad stuff. And um, so I kept going to meetings after that and I, and I found a couple of meetings that I could go to at a very a different schedule and um, I went to this one Jewish ladies meeting, the Orthodox Jewish women and me. And, um, and I'm walking in in my, in my sweats. I didn't know. I called up and she said, the lady that answered, who is a really good friend of mine now, she said, yes, come, you're welcome, anyone's like, come, come. She was very welcoming. And that's why they have those numbers in the 12 stepper for people to call to find out about the meeting. I know that now. I didn't know that then. I just thought she was like an angel of, of I don't know, mercy or something. And I walked in this meeting with the Orthodox Jewish women, and that's where I found my sponsor, who happened to be a speaker there. And she told my story, and she was a sugar addict. It was like, bing, bang, boom, got it. You know, it's like, okay, this is where I belong. And so I kept coming back, and um, and I kept going to meetings, but it didn't do much else. I was abstinent, wasn't eating sugar, and that was enough for about six months, and then I wasn't losing weight. And I brought the for today, which I would like to indulge, please indulge me by letting me read, uh, for today... Um, why am I still obsessed with weight? I am abstaining. I'm trying to work the steps, which I wasn't, uh, but I can't give up the scale. I'm terrified to stop the constant monitoring of my weight. What if I gain? How will I know? If, how will I know it? How will I know if I gain weight if I don't get on the scale? That's the question. I have to know that bad news. I have to know. The problem is I'm trying to work this program without giving up control. But is that possible? The first three steps make it clear that those who wrote them and millions who followed proved that only they could only recover by letting a power outside themselves regulate their unmanageable lives. If I say I have faith in a higher power, I can take the next step and turn my weight over to that higher power. I can concentrate on taking the action, abstaining and working the steps, and leave the results to God. If I stop for today, if I stop supervising my weight loss, it will be taken care of in God's time. I pray for the willingness to do that. And I love this because that was the story of my life. I love the scale. I was addicted to the scale just as much as I was addicted to the cake. I'd eat the cake and get on the scale. And then I'd go on a diet and get on the scale. And I'd drink a glass of water and I'd get on the scale. You know, it was crazy. So after six months of not eating sugar, I wasn't losing any weight, and I couldn't figure out why. But the beauty of this program is that when you're abstinent, at least for my case, you, I got clarity. The fog gets lifted. I'm actually in the world. I can see things besides where am I going to get my next fix? I can drive down the street without looking for Mrs. Fields. You know, that's what I would do. I look for where can I go after I do my thing to go, after I do my errand to go get cake and coffee. 
where's the best chocolate cake? I couldn't go just anywhere. I had to be the best. <laughs> it's the truth. And um, so, what's my dream of talking about? Chocolate <laughs> oh, the fog clears. Yeah, who the fog clears then? You get clarity, and um, I did get some clarity, and I thought, well, if I'm not losing weight, maybe I should look at what I am eating instead of what I'm not eating. Because for me, not eating sugar meant I could eat anything that didn't have sugar in it. So all the stuff in my house was non-sugar, but it was also non-healthy and I had five different kinds of pretzels in the closet because every shape tastes different (laughs) and um, I had I was a cheese I love cheese I would go to the cheese bar and pick out these wonderful cheeses and then on the way home from work I worked at night and I would think what do I have for my snack and I'd be planning I could plan food that was easy for me food plan wasn't hard I could plan my snack, and by the time I got home, I'd hit the ground running, and I'd make, I'd get the cheese and the crackers, no sugar, and um, and some uh, olives on there, or baba ganoush, or whatever. I mean, I had a whole rest menu of snack food at night, and so I'm eating at midnight. So that was, you know, strike three, and you're out. You're, no wonder I was wasn't losing weight. I thought. I'm eating four meals a day. And I would take like the snack bag of trail mix to work and it was going to last me the whole night. It would be gone the first five minutes before I even started typing on the computer. I would be down. And um, so anyway, I, I looked at my food, at what I was eating, and that really saved the day for me. And that's why I'm a big proponent of food planning. Big proponent. I... If I don't plan my food, I feel like I'm in shark-infested waters. And so I have to stay in the life raft. I have to stay in the boat. The boat is my food plan. Out there in the water, that's the danger area. If I stay in my food plan, I can pretty much guarantee you that I'm going to have an okay day with food. Because it's not just what I eat. It's how much I eat. That was another thing I had to tackle. And then it was, where am I eating? Am I eating in the car? Am I standing up? Am I cleaning the dishes and popping food in my mouth as I clean the plates? Am I eating the stuff that falls off the cutting board when you're fixing the food? I mean, there was all these food behaviors that I never even recognized before. It was just normal to me. That was Everybody does that. Don't everybody reach down and pick up the food off the floor and dust it off and eat it? Yeah. So... Um, anyhow, I got on this food plan, started developing, and and then at some point I realized, yeah, I'm on a food plan and I'm abstinent, but I'm still just as crazy as a loon, and I I needed to I needed help. So finally, after nine months in this program, I said I think I need a sponsor, and maybe I should work the steps. That was like taking nine months to get to that place. That's how crazy I am. And they don't they say that every meeting get a sponsor. But I didn't really listen to that. And I finally got a sponsor. It was a woman that I heard at that meeting. Three months prior to that, I finally managed to meet up with her again. And she became my sponsor. And she's still my sponsor. And we've had our differences. Mostly me saying no. 
her making suggestions and me not doing it and her being very patient with me and then me finally doing it. That's kind of the way the relationship goes. She's like, do you think you could pray? I'm like, don't think so. Not going to happen. Uh, how about meditation? I think maybe you should meditate. No, I don't know how to meditate. I can't meditate. Uh, exercise. You, could, you should exercise. I'm like, no, I already exercised. I'm not exercising anymore. I did that. I, did, I, I was a gym teacher. I know all about exercise. I didn't mean I was going to do it, but... And then I ended up slowly, slowly, slowly doing all the, the suggestions. We worked through the steps. Um, I did my inventory. I told her stuff that I never told another soul in my life. I cried a lot. My first year I cried in every meeting and I'm still crying. And, you know, I think it's good. I think that it's a measure of that I can feel my feelings. If, if I get... If I get cheerful, if I get emotional, it means I'm healthy, I'm sane, I'm normal. I'm not a crazy person who's just like eating to stuff all this stuff down or pretending that bad things don't happen to good people. You know, it's, it's a measure of my sanity. And I consider it my... Oh, I, I need to just quickly talk about higher power. My higher power was very lucid for me. I grew up in a very um, religiously conflicted household and um, God was very difficult for me to find. And I, I really resisted it. It's one of the reasons it took me so long to get into OA or any 12-step program. Um, but I did find God in Cancun. So I was there with my whole family and all of them are completely annoying and um, irritating and I couldn't get away from them so I started praying I said the serenity prayer I was in program and I was abstinent which was a miracle and because of that because I was abstinent because I was in program because I was hearing stuff that I needed to hear I was able to say the serenity prayer and really mean it and I was looking out to the Caribbean Sea the sun shining down on me saying God grant me serenity to accept these crazy people in my life and it was the first time I ever actually spoke to my higher power and that remains my higher power this force of of nature of I don't know serenity really peace and that really helps me every day in my life because there's so many things I can't control. But the difference between now, then and the way I live then and the way I live now is that I'm not trying to control it anymore. I just know that all I have to do is the footwork. If I take the next right indicated step and all the stuff I heard in meetings over the years and I never really understood what in the hell people are talking about, um, but now I know it to be true. If I just take the next right indicated step and ask, what should I do in this moment? What would you have me do? Then I choose the right thing to do. And if I don't get an answer, I don't do anything. That's what I learned. If I don't get an answer, I don't do anything. I just let it happen. Thanks for letting me share. This is a time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole.
When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you have... Um, any questions? Thank you so much for your share. Um, you talked about that you stopped eating sugar um, when you came into the program, um, but you weren't looking to accept. Can you tell us what you did or what happened that enabled you to stop eating sugar? Yeah, the question is what happened uh, that enabled me to stop eating sugar, even though I wasn't working the steps? Um, that's a good question, and I usually share that, but didn't get in there today. Um, I was going out to dinner with a friend, the friend of mine who was in OA, and she was on an eating plan. And um, we were at an event together, and she said, do you want to go get dinner? And I said, yeah. And then we got to the restaurant, and I don't know, something happened inside me, and I said, I have to tell you something. I already ate dinner. I had already eaten dinner before the event, but I was more than willing to go have another second dinner. And um, I told her the truth. And she said, that's okay. You don't have to eat. Just have coffee. So that's what I did. And when I went home that night, I threw away all the sugar. That's what happened. It was a spiritual experience. I consider that a spiritual experience in my life, the first of many. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, you didn't talk all that much about steps, but from what you said, I'm particularly interested in hearing your experience with steps six and seven. Oh, step six and seven. My experiences with step six and seven are very interesting because I was so disappointed when I got to step seven. I did, I did the workbook. We did the OA workbook the first time through the steps. And I was great. At, I love writing. So I was really great at writing answers to all these questions and had big long answers. And then we got to step six and seven, and I gave away my seven-step writing to my sponsor, and then we were going into a meeting. And so I said to her, well, what happens now? She said, nothing. You, uh, you have to do this every day. I'm like, you mean these aren't going to be removed right now? My defects of character are just not going to be just plucked out of my life? She said, no. I was like, what? I want my money back. <laughs> That's my experience with six and seven. <laughs> so now I, I do the seventh step every morning. Uh, I, I, I say the seventh step prayer every morning. And then once in a while, one of my defects of character just rears up like a little angry mole. And, then, you know, and so if something happens and if I have had to make an amends to somebody, then I, I do a little special extra prayer at the end of the seven step prayer asking for that character defect of mine to be you know if not removed at least decreased and that's that's how I usually handle that after being in the program for a while when did you get it and how did you get it when did I get it and how did I get it? I got it like day one, really. I had to stop eating sugar. And then that was the key for me, to stop my drug. I had to stop the intake of the drug that was killing me. And when I did that, all the other things became possible for me. I could make some decisions that were actually beneficial to my life rather than um, destroying my life. And I, I, you know, I don't know. 
I got it right. I got it as soon as I heard that speaker say, and then I stopped eating, had to stop eating sugar. It just clicked for me. And I thought, that's what I have to do. And then eventually I was able to say, I need to go to a meeting. And then eventually I was able to say, I need a sponsor. And eventually I was able to say, let's look at the food that I am eating. Let's look at these other things. And the way I'm living my life, I'm being judgmental and critical and all these other things and impatient with a chop free. Um, and let's take a look at those things. And let's really, really work this thing. People say they work the tools, but you don't work the tools. You use a tool. You don't work a hammer. You use a hammer. Yeah, work the steps. And I have to do that on a daily basis. That's what I got. Somebody has their hand up over here? How have my relationships with people close to me changed? Really dramatically, I have to say. I um, my relationship with my family is a lot better. Um, people don't say I'm negative anymore, which is kind of nice because I'm not. I'm always looking. In fact, one time I. I don't know. We were in a parking lot looking going to the movies and some lady swooped into the parking lot before me and said, oh, that's okay. We'll find another one. My girlfriend looked at me and said, who are you? <laughs> I'm a different person. I'm not angry anymore. And I don't have to control everything. And because I don't have to control everything, that includes the people closest to me. I can just let them do what they're doing. If they need my help, they have a mouth they can ask. If they don't want my help, then they don't need my help. So that's kind of... Does that answer your question? So the question is, if I'm not eating sugar, am I allowed to have anything sweet? And I would say that it goes by a case-by-case basis. There are some people that can have no form of sugar. And I am not one of those people. Thank you, God. Um, I can eat fruit, a certain amount of it. Um, but I have very controlled portions. I, you know, I have a food plan that allows for me to have certain pieces of fruit at certain times a day and and that works for me uh, as far as artificial sweetener the jury's out on that I mean everybody does it differently that's the beauty of this program and, it, and that's also very confusing for the newcomer um, it's like you want all the rules but when it comes to what works for your body there are no rules you have to discover at least I had to discover what works for me and what doesn't and it's funny that you mentioned dates because a friend of mine brought this box of really expensive, I don't know, wonderful, fabulous dates from some country. And um, 
She said, would you like one? And I, I thought, I could eat fruit? Yeah, I'll have a date. I wanted the whole box of those dates. So right away I thought, okay, no more dates. I can't have those. I, I, that's a fruit that I do not eat. Because I know, as the minute that it hit my mouth, I'm like, yeah, ding, 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 ding. And I thought, that's not something that I can safely consume. And sanely consume. I just knew that. And sometimes I still, you know, see them in the grocery store and we stare at each other longingly. But I know that it's not a relationship for me. So I hope that helps answer your question. Thank you. Um, are there other elements to your abstinence in addition to no sugar? My abstinence is no sugar. I refrain from a lot of other behaviors. Um, and and uh, foods. I don't eat cheese. I don't eat red meat. And I have a lot of other dietary concerns that guide my food plan that have nothing to do with compulsive overeating. So there's certain foods that I just can't eat. And um, for various reasons. Um, but that never stopped me before. So the, the no sugar allows me to take care of my body and not eat the things that are going to destroy me or kill me. Where do you get out of service? Oh, service. Mm-hmm. Thanks for asking. What did I do about service? Um, service uh, is something that I was trained to do. If somebody asks, my answer is yes. That's why I'm here today. Because I live in Orange County and you know how far that is. Um, but I gladly do service. It is um, a service just to be here this morning and be able to carry the message. And I consider that an honor, um, to be able to carry the message. And the one thing I learned about service is that it's not always fun, but it's really necessary for me to do, because I have a tendency to be self-absorbed, and I was told that by a friend of mine. Uh, should I say ex-friend? And, no, just kidding. Um, and so being of service helps me get out of myself. Whether I have sponsees, I have six sponsees currently, and um, and I have and I have one sponsee who just recently lost her abstinence after five years, which was really sad. And I didn't get all over her case. I was able to say, well, what can we do? What can we? What do you want to do about that today? Instead of making her feel even worse, which was the old me, the punitive. Sponsor. I don't want to be the punitive sponsor. I want to be the sponsor that people get up and say, the sponsor's so loving and wonderful and forgiving. That's the sponsor I want to be. So I work on that every day. When life comes at me, how do I deal with it? Um, you know, my first thought is always to fight, because I was trained that way. I was uh, trained by a family of fighters, <clears throat> and that's my default mode. That's why I say step seven prayer every morning, and, and, really, and really mean it. Um, and when life comes at me, and it's really interesting, it doesn't even have to be a big thing. Like my son-in-law said, 
I'll call you when I figure out the plan. And, you know, a couple of days went by and he hadn't called. And I'm like, I should call him. He didn't call me. Uh, I want to know what the plan is. And then I thought, he said he'd call. And like 30 seconds later, the phone rang. So I didn't have to call him. I didn't have to take charge of it. And that's pretty much how I operate now. It's like, there, I, I look at, I really do the serenity prayer. That's the thing that I, the tool that I use the most, the prayer that I use the most in those kind of situations is can, first of all, I have to accept the things I can't change. So the question is, can I change this? And that's the key. If I can change it, if I can't change it, what can I do? If anything. Sometimes there's nothing I can do. I just have to wait it out to see what's going to happen. And sometimes there's something I can do. If you just change my attitude. That's the number one thing I can always change is my attitude. I don't have to run this show. I learned that from doing the steps, from reading the big book. I'm no longer running the show. And it's suffering for that, but I, you know, the, the show does not need to be run by me. And I'm learning that. I learn it every day. I always have another lesson on that. Any more questions? What? What's your relationship with the scale now? My relationship with the scale is we are estranged. We do not. <laughs> we got a divorce. I kicked it out. Um, actually, I realized that I had a real obsession with the scale. I call it a mini tentacle monster that would just reach out and grab my ankle and pull me onto it. So if any room where there's a scale... I still have, I, for many years, I mean, I, I got rid of my scale because I knew that it was just, my behavior with the scale was insane. So if I don't have a scale in my house, um, I was better off. And, and I was. Because miraculously, which I didn't say in my share, but miraculously, in the nine months that I was just going to meetings and not eating sugar and didn't have a sponsor and wasn't working the steps, I lost 50 pounds. And I didn't have a scale until I went to the doctors and they weighed me. That's how I found out how much I weighed. And I was like, wow, that was a shocker. And I had no idea. So um, the scale, I went to a friend's house one time for some event and she had a scale in her bathroom. And I was just like sitting there do I get on it? Should I get on it? Should I get on the scale? It's got scale. Scale, scale, scale. I thought, okay, you've got to get out of the bathroom right now. <laughs> I mean, literally, it took me over. Like a force. Like a, like a, a undescribable force. I thought, yeah, I'm definitely addicted to the scale. So we don't, you know, I'm abstinent from the scale. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Resentment and amends? I hate amends. Um, and I really don't like resentment anymore. I used to really thrive on resentment. That was my blood. That was my bloodstream was resentment. Because then I could blame the other person or the other thing for everything that was wrong with my life. But now... Um, I really don't have any resentments anymore. I just pray for people who will uh, annoy me. And, and one thing that I learned from working the steps is that the answers are in the instincts. We have basic instincts. And if I am annoyed by something or someone, by something that's happened, or 
something someone did, whether it's directed to me or not, I ask myself, what is it about me that's causing this situation to annoy me so much? So I go right into an inventory, right in my head. I do a four-step inventory right in my head, and it's column three, which is what instinct is being pushed on here. Am I going to lose something that I have? Is somebody trying to take something from me that I have? Or am I going to not going to get what I want? Or do I have an expectation here? And it's usually one of those three things. So I can knock it right out. And I think if they continue to annoy me, I continue to pray for them. And it works. It really does. There's a four-step prayer that answers that for me. And I recite that prayer. And God saved me from being angry. It's a big a sentence that people forget. And if you ask for that, you get it. Um, you said you had uh, issues about the concept of God. What's your concept of a higher power? My concept, what's my high concept of my higher power? Uh, good question. I um, was relieved to find that by reading the big book, it tells you right in the big book what your higher power is. My higher power is deep within me. It's that still voice that says, not a good idea, don't go there. Or, great idea, do that. In spite of the evidence around me. And I just listen to that, I listen for that small, still voice inside me. And that's my higher power. And I'm out of time. Thank you.